2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 15. We will pray, and then we will read the word of the Lord. Father, by your grace and by your mercy and by a power that only spoke existence into being, may we hear you this day. Father, as we look at these precious words, God breathed. May it be your power that moves in our hearts. May it be your power that moves to our minds. Father, may it be your power that we see in those that we serve with, those that we serve to, and those, Father, who will reject you even to the end. Father, let our focus be on the face of Jesus Christ, the glory of God revealed to each of us who believe. And Father, may we walk in a confidence as our brother Paul did. May we rest in that assurance as our brother Paul did. To your glory and praise, amen. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake. For the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound in the glory of God. When I uh, first started into this book several years ago, I read some great authors uh, on this text. um, And I can't remember if it was Linsky or MacArthur or Calvin or who it was, but they had made a statement about 2 Corinthians, um, and, and they said 2 Corinthians is almost a biography. Um, I will tell you this emphatically. 2 Corinthians is transforming truth. I can say, tell you that without hesitation. Now, whether I would classify this letter as a biography, I'm not sure that I would do that. But I do know that it takes a look into the depths of Paul's heart uh, like no other letter he wrote in uh, the New Testament. Uh, you see the man. Um, and and, and when, I, when I look at this text, what I am perceiving is what a man looks like when he really walks with God. Because if you think about the writing of this letter, (laughs) he wasn't having any fun 
you know, being tremendously published and everybody wanted to interview him and he's going before all of the ordinations of the kings and giving prayers for guidance and wisdom to all of the councils and that ain't the way this sucker was working. It was, uh, it, it was ugly. It was ugly. And when I think about this text and in light of what we've been looking at, when a man really looks into the face of Jesus, you will see what this text is. Because these points that I have given you here are basically the marks of a man, of a saint, who is doing that. Because the only way you will really walk with Jesus is if you really look into his face. Okay? And, and, and it, it, is, it is more than, let me memorize a passage of Scripture. It is begging God in absolute humility. Show me Jesus in your word. When a... You... You want to see what a quote-unquote spiritual person looks like? Do you want to see what a spiritual person, the model is? Or the pattern, the example? That's 2 Corinthians. That's 2 Corinthians. Just read it. Cursory reading of it. And yet, when I read this, it becomes clear to me you know, and coming out of 1 Corinthians into 2 Corinthians, this letter is extraordinarily personal. These people meant an awful lot to the Apostle Paul. When we think about Christianity, I'm going to ask you some questions. Everybody's yay. How do we walk? How do I walk? Now listen, it's easy to sit here on a Sunday and say, you know what, we tolerate him going over an hour every Sunday. How much more walking you need? Okay, but I'm wanting to ask you, when you're out of here, how do you walk? How do we Look when we're out of here. When the proverbial no one is around. So this text, especially this little section, has a lot of instruction in it, but I think that it is, runs right alongside exhortation. And it is a deep look into a servant of God. And I would even argue perhaps the most noble servant God ever had. The person of the Apostle Paul. Um, I guess, you know, there's all kinds of books out there on Christian living. This is Christian living. Right here. And, and if you remember, when we started 1 Corinthians, I dealt with that text as personal holiness. Okay, I mean, it, it's looking at you, you to the mirror. How does it look? 
Second Corinthians says personal holiness looks like this. I mean, you can have the information. I know people right now who have the information. But it doesn't mean nothing to them. They just have the information. Because you can look at their lives and say, you're not walking in light of that information. I mean, this is an amazing text. And and when I read it through, I have to ask myself, what is the goal for me in this text? Therefore, what would be the goal for you from this letter? If, if I can take you back a little bit to remind you of some things that are uh, pretty astonishing if you think about it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 is an amazing statement. Be imitators of me. As I am of Christ. That's pretty astonishing if you think about it. Paul writing to the Philippians. Chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. Through 4. Therefore. If there is any encouragement in Christ. If there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete. By being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, But in humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's pretty serious stuff right there. You know, and I listen to people trying to say, well, we need to be one. Why aren't we? I can tell you why. Considering others more important than yourselves. I'll tell you what, if you ain't doing that, you don't have to worry about one. Okay, but I... I want you to think about it even beyond that because you can read that and you think, wow, that's, you know, he comes out of Corinthians and says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And then he says, this is what it kind of looks like. Be one. And the only way you can do it is consider others more important than yourself. Think about it. If you take the husband wife relationship, when the conflict steps in, what is it? One thinks they're more important than the other. Or in some cases, they both think they're more important than the other. Isn't that what it is? If you have an argument with somebody, it's because you know you're right and they won't listen. That's always considering others more important than yourself. 
You know what I've learned? I can't make them know I'm right even if I want them to know. If God doesn't do it, I'm wasting my time. But I want you to think about this one for a second. Because do you understand what the Great Commission is? As you are going, the original text would read, make disciples of all peoples. All right? That's what it says. It doesn't say make converts. It doesn't say have X number of baptisms or church membership. It says make disciples. All right? That's If you're saved, I guarantee you, you're making disciples. But here's my problem. Are you ready? The letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 9. All right? I want you all to think about this verse because this one here is one that haunts me uh, pretty regularly. Here's what it says. The things you have learned... And received. Okay. Because there's times that you teach and they don't receive. But there's times that you teach and they do receive. So you've learned and received and you've heard. Alright. I'm in. What about the next one? And seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. <laughs> okay? You know what's amazing about that text? The most astonishing thing about that verse right there? Paul wrote it. Think about it. I want to stand before Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of my faith, when my mortal race is over and I step into eternity. I'll look him right in the eye and I'm going to say, Lord Jesus, you see all these people behind me? They act just like me. That's discipleship. You want to sign up for that? That's pretty serious if you think about it. Because I hate to break the news to you. You make disciples. Listen. Lost people make disciples. They are learners. And then they will act just like what they have seen in me. Woohoo! I know, that song sounds a little more cheerier now, doesn't it? <laughs> so send on you, yeah? Why don't you just send me to the Republic of the Congo? I think they're killing white people there. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? And yet the Apostle Paul can write that. You know what that means? It's true. It's true. I've heard people say, don't be follower of people. Be followers of Christ. And of course, those are the spiritual giants of the community. Aren't they? Paul says, be an imitator of me as I am of 
Christ. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice those things. Have you seen the little braces WWJD? (laughs) Oh, how corny that is. I mean, she made a bunch of money for him, but it's still corny. What would Jesus do? Well, if you run up on a guy named Lazarus, what would Jesus do? It's going to be awkward. (laughs) All right. But I always thought, why wouldn't it be walking with Jesus daily? But see, we cheat that. We walk with us daily. And if my time with us isn't quite right, I'll cheat Jesus' time. Because he's God and he doesn't need as much. Ain't that what we do? And yet I just came out of a text where he's contrasting the old covenant to the new covenant. Who is adequate for such a task to share this? And yet our adequacy comes from God. Therefore, we behold in a mirror are being transformed into the same image. The attributes and nature of God are seen in the person of Jesus. And the more I look at the person of Jesus, guess what? I can all of a sudden be seen as walking as Christ walked. And I won't have to be afraid on that day when Jesus says, What the heck kind of disciples are those? What did you do? I guess the simplicity of this text is us being what Paul is. Us being what Paul is. In Matthew's gospel, 13th chapter, he speaks of salvation in two graphic pictures for us that I believe fits well in this text. First was the treasure of salvation was found buried in the ground and the guy sold everything that he had so he could buy this chunk of ground so he would have this precious treasure. Okay? This treasure is in dirt. And he sold everything to buy it. He also speaks of a a parable of a pearl of great prize. And the same happens then. I sold everything... So I could have the pearl. And the pearl is in an oyster. In both cases, Jesus is showing you and I the container one, earth, dirt, the other an oyster, and neither of the containers reflect the value of the treasure that they held. It wasn't based on a noble container, on an able container, a social elite container, a monetarily satisfied container. It was an oyster and dirt. The contrast is what is the heart of this passage. The earthen vessel with the precious treasure inside. 
It is the contrast of the treasure of gospel truth, the new covenant, and this human container. The treasure in a clay pot, in an earthen vessel. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. It isn't, wow, did you see that? I wonder what's in it. No, because you just walk on dirt. And I don't know what they eat oysters for. That is insane. I mean, if you like oysters, I'll pray for you. That's, uh. But you don't look at it and say, well, this is what this treasure will be in. The shining glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus is in this fragile, homely container that carries this glory and gives it to men. You ever thought about that? I mean, there's a part of me that just wants to say to God, well, what were you thinking? Listen, Paul had been in this church for two years. Roughly. As soon as he left, as every time, the false would come in. But for the false to be heard, they have to discredit somehow the true messenger. There's a reason they are called messengers of Satan. Right? They're, they're bringing lies. But see, a lie and truth have a conflict. So what I do is let me discount, discredit the clay pot. The clay pot. I was told way early in my ministry, and it still haunts me to this day. If they cannot find blatant sin in your life, if they cannot find false doctrine in their life, understand this, they will attack you. You know what? <laughs> I should have known then that's prophetic because that is exactly what they do. And when I look at what they did to the uh, Apostle Paul, they were unrelenting. And you know what? At times they were extraordinarily cheap. They were extraordinarily cheap. Um, I uh, sometimes have T-shirts that don't have sleeves in them. And I had people make accusations. How can you wear that? It's 95 degrees outside. That's how. <laughs> it's, it's, sorry. <laughs> Want me to put a tux on? I don't know. Okay, but that, you know, that, that's it. Well, I just can't believe you would dress like that. You should see me at home when there ain't nobody around. I'm really comfortable then. Jeez. I, I don't understand some of this. I, it doesn't make sense. Well, I can't believe it. You're, you're, you know, the other day I was working out in the shop. I work on motorcycles and I had flip-flops on. Why? 95 degrees. Okay, and they're comfortable. But I dropped a socket on my little toe. And I said, I need to get some cooler boots. (laughs) 
Okay, so, so sometimes we learn from, well, that was you thinking, dummy. In Paul's case, they attacked Paul's personal defects. Paul had some physical problems. Um, Paul had a face only a mother could love. Okay? Had to, be honest. You've been stoned and left for dead? You know what that means, right? At some point in there, you lost consciousness, which means you were hit in the head by rocks. Okay? And I'm sure that he ran right out to the plastic surgeon in Antioch and had it all fixed. All right? So I hate to break the news to you. To look at the Apostle Paul by the time the Corinthian church plant, that would be one homely dude. I mean... What, you want me to make it better? I'll show you something else. Come over to chapter 10, 2 Corinthians. 10.10. 10. For they say, Paul speaking of those who are trying to discredit him, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive, and his speech is contemptible. Hmm. Hmm. He's unimpressive. He doesn't have charm. He doesn't have charisma. He has no personal presence. Uh, what is the term we were using? Gravitas. He has no gravitas. How do, he hasn't got no power. How could he ever motivate anybody? He doesn't bring any creativity to the pulpit. How will they hear? How can a man who looks like that sway people? What does it take? What do you need to draw a crowd? And I mean, Paul's creativity in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 is his creativity. When I came to you, brother... I did not come with support, superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He ain't a gifted speaker. He has no way to sway people. He isn't of the stature that says... I demand an audience. He didn't impress. How's he going to hold an audience? Can this one command attention? No, certainly not. Let us mock him. Let us discredit him. And there's so much rejection of this man, his presence, his ability to communicate. Who's going to follow? How would the church ever grow? Paul gives truth. And they want to discredit Paul because they can't discredit truth. And yet Paul understands this and he doesn't want them to fall to the false. To the cultural elite. To the pleasant to view 
to the articulate speaker with great wisdom, a great oratory skills, and he dresses to the nines. Because let me tell you something. That was happening in Corinth, and it is rampant today. But you know what? When I read it and and, and you pull in all of this together and you start seeing it, I find this most noble servant of God, perhaps the most noble servant that God has ever had. He's in an embarrassing place. He is sinful and he is weak and he knows it. How do you defend these accusations? How do you defend these attacks without stepping into pride? I gotta get me a silk suit. Oh wait. See, his physical weaknesses, <laughs> they're not new to Paul. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said it's only by God's mercy that he was even in the ministry. Paul was constantly amazed that he was even allowed to serve the Lord because he was violent. He was an aggressor. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor of the church. And yet God says, I want you to serve as an apostle to the Gentiles. And He served by God's pure mercy and grace. And that never left his focus. No one knew his physical weaknesses better than he did. He was lacking as a speaker. He wasn't much fun to look at. As I shared, he was stoned, left for dead, so he would have bore the scars of stoning. And I'm sure that would be sort of awkward. It'd be one that's sitting at the dinner table, everybody's looking at. Dude, what happened to you, man? (laughs) He had some other things, too, in Galatians chapter 4, 12 to 15. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. First time he preached in Galatia, it was because of illness that he was there. Okay, listen to what it says. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition. Did you get that? The hearers were under trial because of Paul's bodily condition. Look what it says. You did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is the sense of blessing you had? For I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. So whatever this illness was, was something to do with his eyes, and it was something that when you looked at it, ugh. 
So you see what I'm trying to get at? They're attacking him because of his physical weaknesses. And it's obvious he had a few. The truth of his position is that he has to agree with his accusers. He is nothing to look at. You're right. He doesn't speak well. You're right. <laughs> and they, they go down this big old long list. There's nothing persuasive about this man. You're right. <laughs> Not only are you right, it is true. He agreed on his weaknesses with his accusers. He agreed with his inabilities. He agreed with his physical liabilities. Because you know one thing about the Apostle Paul that is really not that hard to pick up on? He is honest. He is honest. Yet still trying to keep people from falling into the traps of the false and keep them from being led astray. How do I defend? They're accusing me of being this homely clay pot. And I have to look at him and say, yeah. But how do I keep you from falling into the suave? Into the charismatic speaker, the great orator, the man who's just pleasing to look at. He must be one of God's angels. He has to agree with his accusers because he knows he's unimpressive. Yet he has to defend truth because he knows the majesty and wonder of the new covenant, the glory of God revealed in the face of Christ. And yet it's packaged in this frail, imperfect, humble, common messenger. Verse 7 says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Paul never ceased to be a wonder at the priceless treasure that comes in such worthless sinners. And that amazement never stopped in Paul for his entire life. How do you put a price on the gospel knowing that it's contained in a clay pot? And Paul doesn't deny it. He actually admits it. Yep, you're right. I'm a homely container. His look and his abilities, instead of being a reason to reject, it becomes proof of his apostleship. Why? Because nobody would go try to do what he's doing in his abilities and his physical attributes. Treasure in earthly vessel? Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? It is scary in this day and age. It is scary to expect or demand an impossible standard for a clay pot. The best preacher, the best preacher ever at best is always going to be a clay pot. We have to remember that. There are some better looking pots. 
There are some that are based on radio. There's some who can make it in television. But they're still just a clay pot. But there's none perfect. There's none perfect. And that's what the apostle is trying to get to you and I today, is that if you're trying to do it on your abilities, you forget your container. All of a sudden, you think the container is some great value, and then more value than the treasure that's inside. In this comparison of this clay pot and this precious treasure, to say that the clay pot is frail is probably an understatement compared to the treasure. If God couldn't use homely, common clay pots, then where would be any ministry? There aren't any perfect people. There aren't any perfect ministers. But if we're waiting for the perfect... Or wait till I get to perfect. If I get a certain educational level, if I get a certain doctrinal level, if I get to a certain ability to speak level, if I get to these other things that I can do, then I will be adequate. You can never be because you're imperfect and you only have a perfect treasure inside. How are you going to articulate it? I, I can't remember who gave me this quote, but it was written in my notes but I I thought it was very appropriate. And I quote, if God can't use poor instruments and feeble voices, how can God make music? Unquote. You ever thought about that? It's true. I mean, if you look at our instruments... Really? Compared to the heavenlies? Our instruments are what? Take our best voices compared to the angelic choir. And yet we have music here. Listen, I think about Abraham, the father of faith who was faithless because he's a clay pot. Chaldean. He had so much faith, he says, I want you to go somewhere that I'm not going to tell you where you're going, but just go. Well, he had a lot of faith. No, he didn't. He took every possession he had in his nephew. (laughs) You know, if I was an extraordinary rich man, I'd go get my million-dollar motorhome and go anywhere you want me to be an evangelist. Moses, hothead, quick-tempered, okay, and didn't want to speak and had really no desire to do any of this thing. Just let me hang out here in the wilderness, take care of these sheep. Why in the world would I go back and lose my life? Clay pot. David, there you go. He's the author of the largest text in the scriptures. And he was a clay pot, a murderer and an adulterer. And yet he writes some of the massive volumes of praises to God. And God said, he's a man after my own heart. Elijah. (laughs) The prophets of Baal, fire from heaven, burns them up. Jezebel's coming, I'm out of here. Clay pot. 
Gets up under the tree and gets into the poor pitiful me. I'm the only one. There's no one here. Oh, I don't know how this is ever going to happen. You just burned up 400 prophets, dude. Get real. Yeah, but that's Jezebel. 401. (laughs) No worries. Isaiah, I am a man of unclean lips. Clay pot. Peter, there's a piece of work. The apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. Let me deny you. I won't deny you today. All right, we're back. Well, we're out of here. We're back. We're out of here. That's Peter. He gets out of the boat. He's walking on water towards the Lord. And all of a sudden, he takes his eyes off the Lord. And what happens? Help me. I don't have a life preserver. Everybody talks about John. But John. Yeah, him and his brother are the ones who said, Hey, they rejected us. You want us to call fire out of heaven and burn them up? But John was the loving one. As long as you didn't reject him. (laughs) John, think about it. He gets his mother to go up and say, Can me and the brother be on the right and the left hand in your kingdom? There's no pride in John. Just another clay pot. Now you got Paul. Falsely accused. Weak. And yet he understood truth and he was happy to go through whatever he did for his Lord. Period. If you go back to your text there in 2 Corinthians. 7 through 15 is basically, if I were to look at it, I would call it his credentials of his apostleship. Why? His credentials is his weakness. I'm not capable of this. If you look in your outline there, you'll see seven points. And these are seven things that this man who is inadequate, unimpressive, this man, are you kidding me? This man who doesn't belong in the pulpit and preaching, this man who doesn't even have appropriate technique, he definitely doesn't have looks, he's just short of everything, he would cause people to turn their backs on the gospel. That guy can't be used. He is unacceptable for ministry. Yet these weaknesses are what made him the minister that he was. He speaks of his ministry not on the basis of his human talents nor his skill, but he doesn't even spring up past achievements. But it's based on his weakness. I mean, look to it. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Verse, verse 9. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Verse 11. For we live, are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our mortal flesh. There's a guy bragging about his stuff. Death works in us, but life in you. All of his affirmities are his credentials. When you look at it, he is humble, he's unstoppable, he's sacrificial, he is fruitful, he is faithful, he is hopeful, and he's glorious. And it is nothing to do with the container. It is the precious treasure that's inside. Too many of us in this room right now think it's the container. 
Because if you think about it, when you get anxious, when you become fearful, when you become anxiety laden, or you just don't want to talk, or you become angry, you know what you're concerned about? The dirt. The oyster shell. You ain't worried about the pearl. You ain't worried about the great treasure. See, he's a true preacher because the clay pot holds a great treasure. And I know he's a true preacher because it's evident in his pure weakness. He brings nothing to the table. And I know people today in the body of Christ who think that they are God's gift. And the gift is actually in them. These points, these outline that I gave you, the seven points here, are marks of his spiritual character. Listen, these are marks of any person looking into the face of Jesus. And the first one out of the gate, humility. Why? Think about it. If you're looking into the face of Jesus, you have room for pride where? And yet, tell me your pride don't just step up all the time. Hey, look at me. And yet, when it does, know what you're not looking at. And we'll pick it up next week. So when you think about these that we're going through, we will be looking at the marks of the spiritual character of the Apostle Paul that should be the marks of every saint of God who looks longingly, intently into the face of Jesus Christ. And if they don't, then you'll find out that they're not humble. And if they're not humble, that it manifests itself. They're not grateful. They're worried about what other people think. They're worried about how they're perceived, how they're looked at. And it just goes downhill from there. Why? Because now, all of a sudden, they're worried about the vessel. How does the vessel look? We'll start with humility next week. Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne. Thank you for my brother Paul. Father, I just thank you that through all that he had to endure, the excruciating heartache and the accusations and and the pain that he, ah, I can't imagine. That, Father, you grew him and your grace was sufficient. Father, I pray for each of us, no matter what is going on in our lives, may we understand that we are but an earthen vessel, a temporary container of the precious treasure of the gospel of the new covenant and the person of Jesus Christ revealing the nature and the attributes of of God, of creation. Who's adequate? Thank you, Lord, that you have made us ministers, that you have made each of us adequate for this amazing task. Father, may we, as Paul shows us in just his life, stand in awesome wonder of the privilege of being ministers of this new covenant. Thank you, Lord, for so much, so often. To your glory and praise, amen.